You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Well, it's good to be with you today. Today is um, the last day um, for this section of Exodus. And uh, in May and June, I want to prepare you ahead of time. May and June, we're going to be walking through Paul's letter to the Colossians. So we're looking very forward to that. Um, 1997 was a pretty good year for me. Pretty, pretty, pretty good year. Um, First of all, I got married so that was good. Um, I was in this band, and uh, no, you have never heard of us. Um, and our first, we released our first album. It was like two months after uh, I got married. And I will tell you, I know about that point, my wife was saying, I did not sign up for this. Um, well, December, I was in seminary. Morgan had a job, the first job as a speech therapist. And I remember being at home one night, and Morgan was sitting on the floor working and I was sitting on the couch and I was supposed to be studying. Uh, That happened quite frequently. But instead, I was sitting there and watching my wife. And as I usually did in class, um, I started writing a song. And I started writing this song about my wife to my wife. Um, Would you like to hear just a little bit of it? Sure you would. Even if you don't want to, you're going to get to. So uh, and, and you have to understand at this point in time, I did not play guitar. So I wrote this song on the piano and then went to my friend Greg and said, Hey, here's what this sounds like. And, uh, and we kind of went from there. So the song goes like this. Just the thought of you makes me weak in the knees. So now I'm begging you, please. Could you show a little mercy as my heart falls apart and I fall to pieces once again? That's all you get. So, thanks, thanks, thanks. I got to remember to unplug Lee's guitar because if it gets up later and it's dead, it's my fault. Okay. So anyways, uh, it was always kind of a weird thing, too, because I wasn't the singer in our band. And so every time we sang this and Morgan was at one of our shows, my friend Nathan, who was the singer, would look at Morgan and like wink. And it, it was real weird and funny. You know, some people write songs about what they're dreaming about or what they're hoping for. Not me, man. I was writing about the woman sitting right there in my living room already had her, if you will, and just writing all these things running through my mind and uh, my, my heart about her. Here's the thing. The song didn't make it true. I wrote it and I sang it because it was true. And it still is. My feelings for this woman inspired me uh, to write this song and want to sing it and express it to anybody. Well, That's what we're going to see happen this morning with the Israelites as they come out of the Red Sea. They're moved by this God who has rescued them. As we 
before we look at this, I want to ask you to think about this. What do you think of when you hear the word worship? Uh, when you hear the word worship, it, how would you define it or describe it to somebody in 30 seconds in an elevator? I mean, is it really just about singing or is it about more? I remember about 20, 25 years ago, Louis Giglio defined worship like this, and it has stuck with me ever since. Worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and what he's done expressed in and by the things we say and the way that we live. That's a pretty good definition. That's worship. I love my wife. I adore my wife. But you know what? I don't worship her. She's not worthy of it. And you know, one of the things that I love about my wife is that she knows the same about me. She loves me, but she does not worship me. She knows I'm not worthy of it. We both know there's only one worthy of it, and that is the Lord our God. He's the only one worthy of our worship. And so I would ask you this morning, does he have yours? Have you sung the song of salvation? Look with me this morning in Exodus chapter 14. We're going to spend most of our time in in chapter 15, but I want to start where we finished last week because I want you to see a sequence of things that happen with the Israelites. Um, In Exodus 14, beginning in verse 30, it says, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And then chapter 15, then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. Here's the sequence of what happens. Israel saw, they witnessed what God did, then they believed, and then they sang. Now let's look at what they sang. And I'm going to ask you right now to bring all of your attention because uh, many of you in this room, your attention, maybe your span of attention is like mine. It's not very long. But understand that the Israelites, they just walked through two million of them. They walked through the sea. And then standing before God, they began worshiping. I want to read the whole song. Okay? So bear with me. Here we go. Here's what they sang together. Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying... I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Pharaoh and the Egyptians, God drowned all of them. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. 
you send out your fury. It consumes like the stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The flood stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire will have its fill of them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your wind and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretch out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You've guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble, pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord will reign forever and ever. When the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. And then we're told that Miriam, Moses and Aaron's sister, grabbed a tambourine in her hand. And all of the women grabbed tambourines and followed her. And they sang together again, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Israel saw, they saw the power of God, they saw the deliverance of God, then they believed, and then they sang. Why is this? Well, it's because rescue ought to lead us to rejoicing. Salvation ought to do something inside of us that leads us to singing, to to begin pouring out our hearts before God. But here's the thing, singing won't make these things true. We sing because they are true. When it comes to God, we don't have to make up things about someone that we're dreaming about or that we're hoping for. We sing about a God who is and who has done. We declare these things. We proclaim these things because this is who God is and this is what he's done. I want you to notice that first, they sang about the Lord. From like verses 1 to 5, they're singing about the Lord. Then they begin singing to him. You know what? As God's people, we ought to do both. And we do. Here at the brook, every Sunday, we we sing about God and we sing to to God. We proclaim not only who he is, but we declare together what he's done. So let's take a second and look back here in what the the people sang to God. Um, Who is he? 
Who do they declare that he is? Well, when you read through this song, um, you see a few minorly important things here. They tell us that God is Savior, that he is glorious, that he is powerful, that he's eternal, he's majestic, awesome, redeemer, creator, ruler, sustainer. Know anybody else that covers all that territory? No, you don't. Moses praised God for his eternity, for his power, his supremacy, his holiness, and his love. That's who he is. What has he done? Well, he has triumphed. He's protected. He's intervened. He's provided. He has led us along in love. He's redeemed us. Friends, the Exodus is the very, very real, historical, true story of Israel's salvation from slavery in Egypt. But it is also the foreshadowing and the revelation of what God would do to work salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. This is why the New Testament describes the work of Christ in terms of the exodus. This is why many, many times throughout the New Testament, we see the work of Christ being described in relationship to the Exodus. There's a a commentary, uh, the Preaching the Word series, that you will hear me, Chad, Chip, read reference, uh, especially here in the book of Exodus, by a guy named Philip Graham Ryken. Fantastic commentary, and I want to read to you something that he says in here This morning, because I believe it articulates this very, very well. He says, Once we were enslaved in the Egypt of our sin, but then Jesus came to set us free. He is our Passover lamb who shed his blood on the cross as the sacrifice for our sins. You remember we talked about that on Easter. He also brought us through the Red Sea. In his burial, Jesus passed through the deep waters of death, but by his resurrection, he landed safe on the other side. Now think about what you witnessed this morning. All of this is signified in Christian baptism. The exodus from Egypt was a forecast of an even greater exodus, deliverance from sin through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He goes on. Since the book of Exodus set the pattern for Christ, it is not surprising that it also sets the pattern for the Christian. The experience of Israel living in slavery, trusting in the Lamb, crossing from death to life, singing the song of salvation, embarking on a long pilgrimage, living by God's law, and finally reaching the promised land, is also the experience of God's new Israel, the church. Bang. That's pretty well said. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writing to the Corinthians and talking about Moses and the Exodus and the Israelites, in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11, Paul says, These things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. 
Paul was telling the Corinthians what they went through, what they walked through was very, very real, but also served for us to be able to look back and see this was for our benefit, that we could look at what the Israelites experienced and know this is a model for us of how to walk with Christ and live for Christ. God did that for us. So, the people saw God's great power, they believed in the Lord, and they sang his praises. But you know what? Three days later, here we go again. They start grumbling and whining and complaining again. Look at verse 22. It says, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. That's why they named it that, because Marah means bitterness. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we going to drink? What happens after the Red Sea, after the, the, the reveling and worship and all that for God? What happens after the Red Sea? The wilderness. What happens after the mountaintop, uh, the, the Red Sea experience of salvation? Sanctification. That's what happens Sanctification comes after salvation. Sanctification. What in the world does that mean, Pastor Brian? Well, sanctification is this lifelong, um, very often difficult, but always beautiful process that God is working us through of refining us and making us more like Jesus, that we are being transformed by the Spirit of God and the Word of God that we might live like the Son of God. And there are a lot of times for us that sanctification can feel like the wilderness. The wilderness wasn't necessarily for Israel's salvation, right? They were already saved. We're already through the Red Sea. Our enemy, they're drowned. The wilderness wasn't for their salvation. It was for their sanctification. You've heard us say this many times. You will hear us say this many times again. God saves us to set us apart, consecrate us, and sanctify us to make us more like Christ. Well, if if God's intent is to make us more like Christ then who should we look at? How about Christ? We should look at Jesus and go, all right, my life ought to look like his. Well, Jesus started out in ministry. What's the first thing that happened? He went out into the wilderness. You remember how long he was out in the wilderness fasting and praying? 40 days. Again, I've mentioned this before. It's worth mentioning again. I have a tough time going 40 minutes. Jesus is out there for 40 days, no food, no water, and Satan comes and begins tempting Jesus. And after 40 days of fasting and praying and being 
just consumed by communion with the Father, Jesus stands his ground against the enemy. Here are the people of God who are just coming into the wilderness and God is beginning to sanctify them. They've been three whole days without water and they're about to take Moses' head off. They cave in and they begin complaining. I'm betting you probably know this, but it's worth acknowledging the real problem wasn't with the water, it was with them. God, um, John Calvin said this, God might have given them sweet water to drink at first. He could have done that, but God wished by the bitter water to make prominent the bitterness which lurked in their hearts. You remember Jesus says in Matthew 12, 34, and I would encourage you to memorize this verse and meditate on it. And here's a great, great way for you to remember referencing it. Matthew 1, 2, 3, 4. Matthew 12, 34. Jesus says to his disciples, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So see, when I, I meet somebody and they start cursing left and right, and then they find out I'm a pastor, and then, oh, I'm so sorry. I want to say, like, why are you apologizing to me? I mean, sure, you, your heart just vomited out of your mouth, but why are you apologizing to me? I'm not God. What happens when we vent on one another and when we unleash on one another and when we gossip about one another, Jesus says what's happening is we don't have a language problem or a speech problem or a gossip problem. We have a heart problem. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Bitterness doesn't originate in outward circumstances. It originates in the inward response. The problem wasn't the water. The problem was them. And God desired to expose this. So, let me first of all say this so I make sure we understand. You shouldn't come to the gathering of the body of Christ um, on a Sunday with the thought of, all right, God, what do you have to say to me today? Like, I need, a, I need a, like a nugget this week of, you know, how I can change things or make adjustments or whatever in life. As if we like call a timeout in the middle of the game, we all get together, that kind of thing. You should come to dive into the word of God that you might know him. That he, the God of the universe, has chosen to reveal himself to us. And so the question for us in in reading about what happens here with, with Moses and with the Israelites, what are we going to do when we come and we worship on Sunday... It's like today, you know, we're on the outer banks of the Red Sea, man. We got to see Chad, baptized Chad. That was awesome. We're going to get to celebrate communion together later. Um, We're together as the body of Christ. This is like the outer banks of the Red Sea. This is like mountaintop. But guess what? Wednesday or Thursday, you may already be drug into the wilderness again. 
It may be Wednesday or Thursday, and you feel like the enemy has already grabbed you by the scruff of the neck and drugged you right back out into the desert. What are you going to do then? Are you going to grumble? Are we going to complain? Are we going to whine? Dear Lord, what in the world? Or are we going to trust God? Is our first reaction going to be to be anxious, to be angered, to doubt? Or is our response going to be to pray and to cry out to the Lord? to trust and to know that he's going to work. Will we trust the goodness and the mercy of God? Because remember, he is the provider, the sustainer, the protector, the redeemer. He is all those things. He has triumphed gloriously. Will I trust him in the small things? So here we are, Moses, Moses, Moses. What are we going to do? We can't drink the water. Wah. Well, look what God does. Verse 25, Moses cries out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Now, I got to be honest with you. If I'm Moses in that moment, and here are the two million something whiners, and they're coming again, and God shows me a log. I might be tempted to pick that log up and say, all right, who's whining now? Like, first Louisville slugger ever, right there. Bring your whining up here. But no, Moses doesn't react like Brian. Moses takes the log, throws it into the water. The water becomes sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ears to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water. Hmm, 12. How many tribes of Israel were there? Oh, 12. What do you know about that? And 70 palm trees. And they encamped there by the water. Friends, maybe this morning you'd say, you know, Brian, I'm not really a singer. I'm not like the musical kind. Um, The singing part, you know, I I just show up late because I'm just kind of here for the sermon. You're way missing the point. Because you see, what we do together, first of all, is we sing and we declare the scriptures. So really, the singing that we do together is somewhat of a chorus of sermon that we're just lifting up together to the Lord. And by the way, God, he knows because he created us and all. He knows that half of us in this room or so aren't really the musical kind. And that's why he said all throughout his word, make a joyful noise. See, he knows that at least in human terms, what's coming out of half of us sounds like noise. He doesn't care. It is music to his ears because it's not a thing about the voice. It's a thing about the heart. God is listening to the heart. See, 
if you asked me to describe myself to you, I wouldn't like label myself as a screamer or a lunatic either. And knowing that most of you in this room would not really want to accept this invitation, but if you went with Lon and me up to Neyland Stadium in Knoxville, Tennessee to a Tennessee game, you would argue with me. Ah, you're, you're a little bit of a screamer and a lunatic. Why? It's because that's where my heart gets really invested. Friends, I don't care if you're a singer. You ought to relish every opportunity to come together with the choir of the body of Christ and lift up praise to God. And I don't know when you walk in the back doors like this morning if you feel like you've just come through the Red Sea. Maybe you're on top of a mountain. I I don't know where you are or what you've been through. But see, that's the thing. On the mountaintop, in the valley, in the wilderness, the desert, it doesn't matter where we are, God is worthy of our praise. And it's not about what he wants to do in you today. It's about you saying, hey God, I don't care what's going on in me, you're worthy of my praise. And I will fix my heart and my mind on you. It's not the quality of our praise, my friends. It's the object of our praise. The one true God who is worthy of all of it. Our glorious, eternal, almighty, sovereign, powerful Savior and Redeemer has triumphed over sin and death. He's brought us from death to life and is one day coming for us, his people. That is something to sing about. That is the song of salvation. Have you sung it? Are you singing it? I want to ask you to bow your head. Lee and the band are going to come. We have an opportunity to celebrate communion together this morning. I'd like to read Psalm 103 for us. King David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, 
so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west, through his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus has atoned for our sins. The Father has tossed them into the sea and said, I don't remember them anymore. See, Jesus can tell us that we're to keep no record of wrong with one another because that's what he does with us. This morning, we have the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper. Jesus, the night before he died with his disciples, took bread and broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of the covenant that I have shed for you. Every time that you drink it, remember me. The disciples in that moment, they didn't know what Jesus was talking about. 24 hours later, they would know painfully well. But Jesus, the grave did not hold him. And we worship a resurrected king. And as his people, we have the opportunity, if you are a follower of Christ, if you have put your faith and trust in him, We take this bread and this cup to acknowledge that that body was broken for me, that blood was shed for me. So in just a moment, whether you come alone or with a friend, with your family, we want you to understand that this is something that we partake in as the body of Christ, as followers of Jesus. And so if you have not made that decision yet, this is not for you. At the same time, we want you to know that our prayer is that today would be the day of salvation in your life, that God is drawing your heart to him. We encourage you as you come, take that bread and that cup and to take a few moments to prayerfully remember Lord Jesus thank you for shedding your blood thank you for giving your life for me every time we take it we remember Lord Jesus, in these moments, we pray that you are exalted, lifted up, glorified and honored. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. We invite you to come. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.